Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We caught up with David Kelly earlier on today. Um, he's the CEO at Shakana Copper. Uh, they are hunting uh, copper, gold, and silver in uh, Peru. Been getting a little bit of bad press recently. We talked to him about what his 20 years of doing business in Peru has taught him about that situation and what to expect. Uh, we also look at the what they're going to do with the 10 million bucks they raised recently and what the targets are in terms of delivering their maiden resource by the end of this year. If you want our thoughts and opinions on that conversation, topics discussed, David and the company itself, you can find that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club, where you can also find detailed company reports and analysis. We've got commentaries from experts from around the world on a variety of companies and commodities. We've got training courses to help you with your diligence process. And we do summaries of all of our interviews just to save you some time because we know you're busy people. And most importantly of all, we've got a thriving community of uh, investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other in a nice, friendly, safe environment, free from judgment, trolling, and abuse. And if that sounds nice to you, and I hope it does, go and join them at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. David, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, Matthew. How are you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. I haven't seen you since October. How have you been? Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've been doing really well. It's good to see you again. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, um, and you're, you're uh, safely at home. Have you, have you managed to get down to South America yet since I saw you? I have not. You know, I just had my first uh, vaccine uh, two weeks ago. I go in next week for, for the second one. Um, as you know, you know, Peru is having a really hard time with COVID right now, but uh, you know, I'll certainly get down there as soon as I can. Okay, cool. Good. That'd be nice. Look, I've seen, I've seen uh, quite a few press releases, a few interesting topics I want to talk to you about. But before I do, give me that one minute overview of the business for people new to this story, and I'll pick it up from there. Yeah, you know, so we're advancing the discovery we made at, at the Soledad project or high grade tourmaline breccia pipes, copper, gold, and silver. We have really spectacular grades in all three metals. Um, it's still very early in the in the discovery uh, phase of the project. Even though you know we've drilled 42,000 meters, um, we we have 110 targets on the project, and you know we probably tested about 20 of those uh, targets in our exploration so far. And from that, we've made seven discoveries of high-grade breccia pipes uh, in various stages of being drilled out. But you know at the at the moment, we've got two drill rigs turning. We're fully funded uh, for you know this resource drilling program that we're doing now. That will include some additional target testing with the goal of having you know the first resource out at the at, you know in the Q4 of this year. Excellent. Okay, brilliant. Thanks for that summary um, for us. I want to talk about a few things that are going on in the marketplace because when I spoke to you, so mid October, about sixty cents. Today, forty six cents. Fifty percent drop. That's not good. What's the reason? Well, I think, you know, the markets are, there's a lot of uncertainty in the markets right now. And there's no doubt COVID is, is weighing heavy on uh, on a lot of the, uh, the the stocks in the market, not just mining stocks. Um, you know, there's been surges of COVID in, in uh, numerous uh, countries. The, the rollout of the vaccines, um, you know, hasn't gone as quickly as people had hoped. Um, you know, we're seeing great progress with that in the United States. But but outside of that, you know, it's it's a lot slower, and especially in the third world uh, countries. Um, you know, Peru is being hit really, really hard with COVID right now. Uh, but, you know, there's there's other factors. Uh, Peru is an election cycle uh, this year, and there's a lot of attention that's being, you know, uh, paid 
to what's happening there. And, you know, obviously we're watching that very closely. Uh, I'm certainly not happy with our share price, but I, you know, I'd say compared to our peers in Peru, you know, we're holding steady. And I, I think that's on the merit of the quality of the discovery we've made in the, in the, the pending research. Right. Okay. Well, well let's, let's, let's talk about the Peru, the, the COVID bit. Yeah, I guess it's the same for everyone, but the bit that sticks out there is um, Peru. We've seen a few newsletter writers, few journalists come down uh, on Peru, um, partly because of the the um, two leading contenders for the Peruvian elections. There, um, what's your take on it? What you know is the is the market right to be worried? Well, I, you know, I think it always helps to have a, a you know a concern. I mean, when when you make an investment in a in a company that's working in a particular jurisdiction, you have to understand and and accept the uh, the political risks or the sovereign risks that are that are inherent in that. Uh, you know the, what Peru is going through now is is no different than what they've gone through for many decades before. And I've been in and out of Peru working there for for over 20 years, and I've seen this before. You know, it's not uncommon for the the left platform to do well in the early election. Um, we've even seen with uh, you know in in the past Umala, uh, who was who had an anti mining platform uh, be elected president. And then, you know, we saw very little changes with respect to uh, mining and the, and the importance of mining in the country. It's such a dominant player in the economy of Peru, and especially right now, you know, the, the three legs on the tripod of uh, Peru's economy is mining, agriculture, and, and tourism. And, you know, agriculture and tourism has not been able to uh, recover from the from the impact of COVID, whereas, you know, the, the output from the mines in, uh, in Peru is, is, is very strong. They're recovering quickly. They are having a huge impact on the economy. So I think once the reality sits in with whoever sits in the president that mining is such an important underpinning of the economy of Peru, you realize it, it can't be messed with, you know? And, and so my view is that uh, it is business as usual in Peru. Uh, we're keeping our head down, working hard. Our biggest concern right now is COVID in in uh, in Peru, not not what's happening with the elections. Um, you know, we're focused on keeping our people healthy, our contractors healthy, our our communities healthy, and and also honoring the commitments we have to those communities. Trying to maintain and continue the social programs that were laid out well in advance of COVID coming on and, and we're making great strides with that. And I think that's the meaningful contribution we can make during this time. You know, I fully appreciate that newsletter writers need to sell their newsletters. They need to uh, give their subscribers something to read. And, and it's it's quite sensational to, you know, uh, say it's gloom and doom in Peru right now. I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, to, uh, to discount the seriousness of the election. It's any election is serious. Even in the United States, we've been through that recently. But do I think that mining is going to stop in Peru after the next uh, election is finalized? Absolutely not. And regardless of which candidate it is. Um, so a lot of this is rhetoric. It's, it's, it's trying to get votes. It's trying to sell newsletters and it's trying to, uh, you know, draw attention to uh, to something that I don't think historically is supported in the way the elections turn out in Peru. Well, that's a fairly categoric answer. So I appreciate that. But talk to me, talk to me about what 20 years in Peru has shown you, because I, I want to understand where this confidence, this certainty 
comes from. We, we've spoken to a few um, companies in different countries in South America where we've seen, you know, Max Gober has been, you know, seen a little setback because of announcements by their, their prime minister, their, their president. And also Ecuador recently, the elections did cause some consternation initially, but it now it seems to be life as normal. So what, what do you know about the Peruvian election process or the likelihood of normality returning after these elections are won? Yeah, like like I said, you know, it, it's not uncommon to start with uh, with a, a leftist platform leading in the in the first election. You know, traditionally, what we've seen in Peru is that that support, uh, you know, it maxes out, and 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 the support for uh, the more you know pro business, pro mining uh, platform continues to increase. You know, there were so many candidates, and that's. That's, I think, one of the one of the challenges that Peru has when they run their election process. When you start off with 18 candidates and they're all getting one to two to three to five to seven to 10 to 12 percent of the votes, it, it just completely divides the country on on, on multiple levels and, and in regards to multiple issues. And, you know, there's a consolidation of those uh of, of those different platforms coming together right now. So we've seen that before. Um, I fully expect that we'll con- continue to see that. And, and my, my view is in the end, you know, the pro-business, the more conservative uh, pro-business, pro-mining uh, platform will win the election. Now, you know, people ask the question, well, what if they don't? Well, you know, in order for um, you know, Pedro Castillo to come in and really change things, right? Throw out the constitution, uh, nationalize the mining assets. He's got to have the support of the Congress and he doesn't have that. So how is somebody going to come in saying they're going to do that and be able to pull it off? Well, they can't. Um, and so, you know, again, I get back to the, the fact that a lot of this is rhetoric to try to get votes, to try to win votes. Uh, what, whether or not they would be able to uh, uh, to make the changes, uh, that that's the real question. Could they, even if they did get elected, could they make the changes that they they've made? And I don't see the support. Uh, my contacts in Peru say that this person does not have the support to make these kind of changes. And at the end of the day, cop, you know, uh, Peru is the second largest copper producer in the world. It didn't get there overnight. It got there, um, you know year after year after year, starting with a good, very solid mining law and then developing uh, a, a global industry, uh, bringing in the global players, right? All the major mining com- companies are in Peru. Um, so there's, there's, there's momentum there in, 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 that, uh, in that industry in Peru. And I don't think that's gonna change. And I'm, uh, you know, while I, I certainly pay attention to what's happening with the polls and the and uh, and the and the election results and and where we're headed there, um, you know, for us it's business as usual. It's keep our people healthy. It's deliver this resource that we've promised to our to our shareholders, and that's really what our focus is. Okay, well, okay, I appreciate the comprehensive answer, and you covered covered off a few questions I had. I was going to ask you, so that, that's that, that's much appreciated. Um, let, let's talk about the focus. The focus has got to be this resource in Q4, the end of this year. Yeah. That's what people are, are yeah. looking forward to. You're an exploration company. You're not a developer. You're not a producer. You know where you sit, and you know you know what you want to do. This maiden resource yeah. that's going to come from one discovery, your your first discovery. But I've noticed the second one has popped up here. Is that going to delay you or distract you? 
Well, no, um, you know, actually, you know, we've made seven discoveries. I mean, the, the, the deposits that we're, uh, you know, exploring, they're terminally breccia pipes. So they're, they're, it's a cluster. It's, it's somewhat analogous to the kimberlite uh, districts where there's multiple kimberlite pipes and the diamonds are hosted in the kimberlite pipes. And the more pipes you can bring into the resource, the bigger your resource is, the longer your mining life is going to be and that type of thing. And so, you know, we have 23 confirmed breccia pipes sticking out of the ground. These are really obvious things. We've also found blind breccia pipes in our drilling. We found two of those now. What does that mean? So if there are two, I'm sorry. What does that mean? Blind. Well, that means a breccia pipe that's not obvious. It, it's it's sitting beneath the ground. And so, um, you know, sometimes there might be a real subtle signature uh, that surface that you can say, yeah, we think that in this location, if we drill beneath the ground here, we'll find a breccia pipe that's not cropping out at surface. Uh, you know, I, I think we've been through the, the, the discussion about these particular types of breccia pipes. They did not erupt at surface when they formed. They're not volcanic features. Um, these are breccia pipes that formed in, in, you know, in, in an environment where there was still probably two or four kilometers of rock above the breccia pipe. So right after these breccia pipes formed, you would, you would have no idea there was anything there. As the uplift and erosion has happened, we've exposed the tops of some of these breccia pipes. And those are the really obvious ones. Those are the 23 that you can stand on, you can sample, and we've drilled a number of those. And from that drilling we've done, we've discovered seven you know, strongly mineralized, high-grade tourmaline breccia pipes, okay? And those will be part of the initial resource. Well, the upside potential is how deep do these breccia pipes go? They're all open at depth. We've never seen the bottom of a breccia pipe yet. And then how many more breccia pipes can we bring to the story? Um, we've got 110 targets on the property. We've tested about 20 of those targets. And from that, we've got you know, these, these seven uh, discoveries, if we can maintain that discovery rate, that frequency of discovery through testing additional uh, targets, the, you know, the upside potential is enormous on this project. And that's what I've, that's the story I've been trying to convey to our investors, you know, is, is we don't know how big this, uh, this project's going to be. We're going to, we're going to put out a, a resource at the end of this year, and it's going to be a demonstration of concept six or seven breccia pipes down to about 300 meters. And it's gonna be, the story and the narrative is gonna be, this is what you can get out of six or seven of these breccia pipes. Well, how many are there? Are there 20? Are there 40? Are there 60? There are, there are examples of this exact same deposit type with over 400 breccia pipes in the breccia pipe cluster. So they can be quite enormous. Um, so the, the significance of the work that we've done since August is we've made three new discoveries, two of them very high grade, Juan Carama and Paloma West. We're doing infill drilling programs on those now to get the drill density to the point that they can be included in the resource estimate. And that will be uh, included with the other discoveries that we had previously made. Okay, so I understand that. So the, the resource at the end of the main resource at the end of this year is to just demonstrate the the quality and extent and scale of what it is that you think you've got there, but you're not checking out at that point. You will continue to explore and build this out. Okay, understood. Uh, you raised some money in January, 10 million bucks, and those gold, gold fields followed their money. 
Yeah. What are those? What are you having conversations with them? And if so, what is that? What's that conversation about? Because obviously they're showing you intent and interest. Are they directing you in any way, or are you doing it the way you want to do it? No. Uh, you know, we we have an advisory panel. Um, we meet monthly with them, and you know they bring tremendous resources to the table. You know, I, I might. I might indicate that, you know, we'd really like to get some input from your chief geophysicist and they'd say, we'll make him available. Uh, we'd like to get your input from uh, your resource geology team and they're available. So that, that's a great, that's a great thing for a junior company to have access to is that kind of tech, technical depth because you generally don't have that in the junior sector unless you go out and hire lots of consultants. And, and we, we do that. We've got some great consultants and there's lots of good people out there, but it's great to have access to uh, some of these, you know, kind of hidden superstars that sit inside these big, you know, big major mining companies that, that, um, you know, can bring lots of great ideas and, and uh, you know, resource to the table. But so we meet with them regularly at the end of the day, the technical committee of Chicana, uh, you know, is what makes the final decisions on where we drill, how much money we allocate to drilling versus geophysics and that type of thing. We, we, we certainly have, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're aware of what Goldfields likes, wants to see. And, and so far, it's been very, very compatible. You know, what they want us to do and what we want to do has been very compatible. And that's why Goldfields was such a great fit as a strategic investor for us, because they love what we're doing with these high-grade terminally retrofied. They're not phased at all by underground mining. That's how they built their com company from, from the beginning. Uh, but they also see the potential that, you know, some of these uh, retrofits could have starter pits. They're very competent uh, open pit miners. They already operate, you know, the Cerro Corona mine in Peru. Um, so, you know, that, that was a great fit. Some of, the, some of the big majors that came at us early on, you know, wanted to know if the whole thing could just be open pitted. You know, uh, they, they, they're not, they're not uh, focused on underground mining. That's not their expertise. And, you know, in that regard, they weren't a very good fit. Um, so, you know, we think that working with Goldfields has been, you know, really uh, good for us and in, in, in helping us advance the, the project. So getting their endorsement in the last uh, financing, having them come in, we had two tranches. They were there uh, for both tranches. And, you know, in the end, we raised nine million dollars. Our target was 10 and we ended up with nine. Uh, but we're, we were thrilled to get that and have that endorsement. And also at the same time, we brought in a number of other uh, new institutional investors into the story. Okay, so it seems it's great having them here now, okay? That gives you access to skill sets you didn't have, and of course they're following their money. But isn't that gonna limit you further down the line when you wanna start talking to other strategic investors or at least look at what your options are? Well, you know, people say that. I mean, it's, I think it's important to point out they don't have a future right on the asset. There's no first right of refusal or anything. And of course, all the majors try to do that, right? They come in and they say, yeah, we wanna invest, but we would like to have a first right of refusal. And, you know, we, we, we haven't done that, you know, so that that's a very clear, uh, statement right there. Could somebody else come in? Absolutely. Uh, now, then the question becomes, you know, would somebody else come in? Well, you know, look at Sawgold. You know, Sawgold has BHP and has Newcrest. Uh, there's lots of examples out there where uh, for really, really good projects, other people come along. Um, you know, I, I fully appreciate that you know, another mining company might look at it and go, well, they may not have a future right on the asset, but 
you know, they do own 20%. And, you know, how are we going to position ourselves uh, in there? So, you know, there, there is that. And, and, you know, you could make the argument that that has held our stock price uh, back a bit. Um, I don't know if that's the case or not. Um, I think I think our stock price has been more closely tied to what's happening with copper. Um, you know, right now we're at 430 copper, right? I mean, that's a that's a phenomenal uh, share price or you know commodity price. And I I in that regard, I am disappointed that our share price isn't higher on 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 the back of that uh, commodity price but you know we've talked about the other things the covid issue the elections and that type of thing so i think we've done well compared to our peers in peru but uh you know obviously we've got some hard work to go our share price should be higher yeah it should but i get the, the premium factor i understand that and if you've done well compared to your peers that that's that's great news but the copper price is as high as it's been for a long time and um, yeah, you, maybe you should be doing better than you are. And cop, copper companies outside of Peru seem to be doing quite well. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, yesterday we announced the uh, the addition of Doug Silver to the board of uh, Chicana. He's uh, he's now the chairman. Doug Kerwin has stepped down. As you know, Doug is a legendary discoverer, very uh, successful career in mineral exploration, and Doug brought huge value to our uh, initial exploration strategy that continues today. But at the same time, you know, we, we needed somebody on the board that has a very, very strong market, uh, corporate finance presence, um, and Doug Silver brings that. He's had a, a very successful career himself. He was inducted into the uh, U.S. National Mining Hall of Fame in 2018. Uh, very strong on the royalty uh, side of the business, which again, that's in play for us uh, with uh, with our Soledad project. And, and we're an M&A story and having somebody like Doug with his depth of experience with M&A, with valuations, uh, you know, with corporate finance, uh, you know, we think this is a great addition for the company. And, um, you know, our our focus is going to be on maximizing the value of the asset that we have and in, in return for our shareholders. And uh, the uh, copper price above $4 is great to have, you know, and we have high grade to go with it and we have gold and silver to go with it. So uh, it, it's a great, you know, it's a great fundamental story. You know, we've just got to execute and make sure we get the resource uh, out on time and uh, and continue to, uh, you know, to, to explore and test these targets and grow that resource. Okay. So what is the money that you raised recently allow you to do? You know, how much more time does that give you? What do you need to achieve in that time frame? Apart from the maiden resource, what else is it going to do for you? Well, that's that's the main thing. You know, it's a lot of drilling. You know, we we, we had a 15,000 meter drill program that we started last year uh, with the success of the discoveries we've made at Paloma East, Paloma West, and and Juan Karama, we wanted those to be included in the maiden resource. So, uh, you know, we raised uh, $9 million and we uh, committed to a 26,000 meter drill program this year. And, you know, so you take the, we, we had drilled about 6,000 of the 15 from last year, okay? January 1st, we approved a 26,000 meter drill program for fiscal year 2021. So it's really 26 plus the six we had already uh, completed. So from August of last year until we stopped drilling this year, there will be 32,000 meters of new drilling completed. We're operating with two drill rigs now, you know, 24 seven on the project. 
And uh, in addition to the infill drilling that will be part of the maiden resource, we're also testing a number of other very high priority targets. Again, with the idea that you show more discoveries that will need more infill drilling, resource gets bigger, um, impact of economic impact of a bigger resource, you know, will, will be demonstrated with the PEA. And, you know, that's the path that we're headed down. And we're fully funded to get through that initial resource estimate, um, additional studies to support that. Um, you know, we're doing lots of other things with, uh, uh, with the project in terms of permitting, getting access to, to, to ground on the south side that we haven't had a chance to drill yet. Uh, the community programs, um, you know, uh, that, you know, surface surface rights agreements and that type of thing. So it's a, it's a very dynamic program. So if you're looking around the market at the moment at all of these other copper companies, you know, doing really, really well, and they're, they're putting out resource statements themselves, you, you must have an idea in your head what sort of numbers or what, what the, the resource is going to need to look like to impress the market. Because at that point, you're going to need to go and get some more capital to go through the next phase. Uh, to you know, to you know, impress people with what you've got here, show them what you've been doing all this time. So, what what, what do you think you need to be coming to the market with? Well, you know, our, the 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 goal that we've always had uh, was ten million tons of two percent copper equivalent, um, and you know that that was a goal that was set uh, early on. Uh, part of that was in discussion with Macquarie Bank, which came in and did a very thorough due diligence uh, evaluation of the project and then, you know, became an institutional investor in two of the financings that we had done. And their view is that, look, if you come out in in the location we have is is phenomenal. It's right in the middle of an active mining district. It's in the Ancash province. The infrastructure is second to none. There's grid power that's nearby. There's a public road access. There's already operating mines in the district. Um, so, you know, that we've got that going for us in terms of, you know, how soon could this asset be in production versus a brand new discovery in the middle of nowhere, right? I mean, some of these discoveries that junior companies tout, they're impressive. I mean, geologically and technically, they're very impressive, but they're in the middle of nowhere. And you really have to ask yourself as an investor, is this ever going to become a mine in my lifetime? And, you know, so that's a that's a big plus that we have is our location. The second big plus we have is the grade. OK, we've got high grade. And the great thing about grade is you're not scraping the bottom bottom of the barrel. You're not you know, you're not having to rely on a super cycle or the proliferation of electric vehicles to make your project look good because it's on the on the on the lower end of the grade range. Right. Um, so grade is, is a great thing. There's also another important part about grade. Uh, a high grade deposit has a much smaller footprint in terms of the ground disturbance. You know, how much ground do you have to dig up to get the metal out of the ground? Well, if you've got a billion tons of 0.3% copper, you've got a lot of ground to move, right? And it happens all over the world. That's where the majority of our copper supply in the world comes from these gigantic low grade deposits. And they absolutely kill it in terms of profit because of the scale that they operate. But, you know, at the same time, they have a much higher uh, ESG impact, right? There's a much bigger social impact. There's a bigger environmental impact. And if that's all managed properly, there's not a problem. But, you know, having a smaller, higher grade, smaller footprint project allows you to survive the metal cycles 
It allows you to develop the mine with a lower capital input. You know, we're not talking about multiple billions of dollars to build a gigantic uh, low-grade porphyry copper deposit. We're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars, probably in the low hundreds of millions of dollars, to bring on a high-grade operation that's going to have a smaller environmental footprint. It's going to have a, a smaller social uh, footprint. And those are all really, really good things. So, uh, but to get back to your original question, Matthew, 10 million tons of 2% copper equivalent. So where did we come up with that? And that was a number that uh, that Macquarie had suggested because they felt that if you have 200, uh, if you have 10 million tons of 2% copper equivalent in our setting, in the setting that we're in, that's going to become a project, which means it's going to become a mine. And so we said, you know, that sounds really reasonable to us, 10, 10 million tons of 2%. Well, when you look at all the drilling we've done at Breccia Pipe 1, we've had, you know, 52 drill holes in that. We found a blind Breccia Pipe while we were drilling the known Breccia Pipe. So it's actually two Breccia Pipes sitting right side by side. One's completely blind, 120 meters below surface, but very high grade. And, you know, if you put all of the mineralized intercepts from those 52 drill holes we come out right at about, uh, it's 2.9% copper equivalent, you know, to just give you a feel for our targets, 2% copper equivalent, Breccia pipe ones at 2.9. Well, we also have some that are lower grade than that. So, you know, 2% seemed like a reasonable balance between some of the really spectacular higher grade uh, pipes we have and some of the lower grade pipes. But since, you know, since that time, we've discovered Paloma West, which has you know, some of the highest grades we've ever seen on the project. And now, you know, with Juan Karama and some of the results we drilled there, again, you know, we're, we're, we're on the higher end of that, of that grade range. So I don't know where the, the resource estimate will come in. You know, uh, if it's 8 million tons at 2.5% copper equivalent, uh, that's a great result. If it's, if it's 11 million tons at uh, at at two percent copper equivalent. I think that's a great result. I really don't know where it's going to come in. It depends on how this infill drilling program that we're executing now, uh, you know, uh, pans out. But it, it's going really well, and I, I'm very pleased with the results. It'd be really cool if you could actually show some of the information. You, you, you quote uh, the the gold equivalent number everywhere, but your target as a Two percent copper equivalent. Be really cool if you could help us by showing both. That might be interesting. I want to see well, if you're like I, on target. I do, yeah, <laughs> I usually do show both, but there is a rule that uh, if you show both, then both metals have to have at least thirty percent of the value of that copper equivalent, right? So, uh, and a great example is this: you know, oxidation dissolves sulfides in the near surface. At Soledad, we get about 30 meters of oxidation, meaning the sulfides are destroyed. Uh, copper is a mobile element in an oxidizing environment, so it moves down. And it's great because it creates supergene enrichment at that at the water table beneath that where, where it's, it's more reduced. But gold and silver do not move very much, okay, in this environment. So you, you, you hang up the, the gold and silver in the top part of the oxide zone. You move this, the, the copper down. And so if, if, if you get an intercept of high-grade gold and silver, it's going to have virtually no copper. And so it doesn't make any sense to quote a copper equivalent in that in that situation, because all the value sitting in the gold and silver and vice versa. If you have a really, really strong copper mineralized zone with, with low, very low 
uh, gold. It's not really fair to, to quote the, the gold equivalent on something like that because the, the gold value might only be 10%. So, Got it. Understood. Thanks for the thanks for taking me to school, David. I like that. Uh, well, <laughs> no, genuinely, do you, let I me like say that. Too, uh, let, let me say too, though, that it's it, the investors are always better off when they can understand the importance of the grade of the individual metals. And I know the the equivalent grades make it uh, more convenient for the uh, the investors and that type of thing. I think it gets uh, widely abused in the industry. Um, it depends on what metal prices you use and, you know, and those are always changing. So I, I always think we're better off talking about what's the copper grade, what's the gold grade and what's the silver grade. And I realize it means that you've got to understand what's important to each of those. Uh, but I'd much rather talk to people about that than to, you know, go down the, the path of the equivalent. I agree. We do it. There's, there's, it's popular. It's popular to do it, so that's why we've done it. But I agree with you. I think it needs to be separated. Not not all of it's recoverable. Not all of it's economic as, as byproduct. That's true. Yeah, um, that's right. Hey, well, look. Appreciate your time today. Nice update since we saw you last. You've been busy at it. Um, can we expect to see a lot more drill results between now and October? That seems very far away. Absolutely. Yeah. We, you know, we've, we've been, you know, putting out results on a pretty regular basis. You know, the, a lot of the infill drilling is, is, you know, rapid holes and, and, you know, oftentimes they end up being shorter holes and you get clumps of, uh, you know, large uh, batches of samples going into the lab. The, the labs have slowed down and I've been, you know, uh, saying for a long time that there's been not a huge impact on, uh, on the lab turnaround time for us. You know, we were very fortunate that our turnaround time was, you know, averaging 15 days last year. There has been a slowdown more recently and, and it has to do with the fact that uh, the medical uh, community in in uh, in Peru is is reaching out to laboratories to fill oxygen tanks. A lot of the laboratories uh, use bottled oxygen, bottled nitrogen in their operations, and so they were obvious outlets for them to go to. And we have seen a, a turnaround time. We're due to the nature of how we're drilling now. We're we're going to put out results in larger batches of data because there's lots to come. Right there's. There's 26,000 meters this year that's 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 happening right now. So uh, we will be steady. There will be lots of, of, of results coming out, uh, you know, more more results in, in a single news release will probably become the, the standard. But uh, we're committed to getting that news out as soon as we can. And, um, you know, we're, we're really excited about this year in spite of all the challenges that we have. Um, you know, it's it's been uh, it, it's 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 a testament to our team in Peru to be able to to continue to advance the project in these difficult times. Good on you, David. Stay in touch. Let us know how you get on and we'll speak to you soon. Thank you very much, Matthew. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.